So my name's Alex Honeycutt. I am the associate campus pastor here at CSF. I'm okay, we're gonna do that. So hi, we are in a study called Your Best Life. So Corinth, if you guys have been with us, you already kind of know what's going on. Corinth is a pop in town, and their uh, values are very similar to kind of what we see today, right? Like you gotta build a portfolio, you gotta secure the bag, you gotta just, it's a sexy town, things are good, they got the good life going on. Then they meet this guy named Paul. Paul tells them about Jesus, and when they hear about this Jesus, who, who is God, come down in flesh, dies, but doesn't stay dead, and then he offers that, and then a whole new way of life for anybody who accepts that, like, they realize something's missing, right? Like, they had the good life, but now Paul, in this letter, what we see is how we can live our best life. So, today is Best Life Part 8, The Generous Life, right? Like, this is one that I think kind of everybody at some point, like, knows generosity is important, and there's, like, studies to it, but it doesn't really make sense if you at least I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense if you're not like a person of faith because, and we'll get, we'll get into that. So background, um, as we're getting started. So the Bible, right, written in a, it's a point in history. So there's stuff in history going on. Um, at the time, Judea is going through, they're suffering from this famine, right? And so the Christians of Jerusalem are really hurting. And Paul has already gone through, he's already planted a bunch of churches, and now he's going through, and he's, he's uh, doing a relief effort. So he's raising funds, raising money, raising support, so they can help out the Jerusalem Christians. And, um, and again, if you've been with us, you know that after Paul left Corinth, right, he was there for like a year and a half, building relationships, everybody knows him, he's a great guy. He leaves, and then ev- these other people come in, they're like, you know, Paul's kind of shady, like he's, he can't be that genuine, and they kind of convince him, like Paul's going to take some off the top, and whatever, so there's this distrust, and now they're trying to figure out, like, is what Paul offers me through this Jesus, is that really the best life, and so chapter 8 today, we're going to see, basically, Paul's reminding them that the generous life, like they have an opportunity right now to experience how this is part of the best life. Um, but before we get into that, Kimberly has an awesome story of how she has seen generosity and just the beauty of that life. So. All right, obviously I'm Kimberly. Um, <laughs> okay, so when I was first reading over this chapter, there were like a few verses that really stuck out to me. Um, verses two and three say, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Christ testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. These verses took me back to 2019 when I had first signed up to go on a mission trip to Peru. Um, The trip cost over $3,000, which I did not have, um, and I wasn't really sure how I was going to raise that. I think I had like four months to raise that. Um, So the pastor of my church had me go up in front of like the congregation and just talk about the trip and why I wanted to go and what I'd be doing. And the next week, a single mother of five kids went up to my mom and handed her a check for $1,000. She said that she wanted to help me pay for my trip to Peru, but my mom told her, like, that was way too much. We couldn't accept that, and I agreed. Like, that's a ridiculous amount of money. Um, (laughs) So 
the woman told my mom that she'd been saving up to put down a deposit on a bigger apartment or house for her and her five kids because they were just getting kind of crammed where they were living. Um, she said that after she heard me talk about my trip, she really wanted to help but didn't really have the money aside from what she'd been saving for a house. After she spent some time in prayer, she felt that God wanted her to give me that money for my trip. My mom told me this, like, she's crying, I'm crying, you know. Um, and that brings me to verse 12. For if the willing, wow. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. See, this mother felt like she had nothing to offer, which, again, $1,000, that's a lot of money. Um, and she even told my mom that she wished that she could pay for my trip in full. Um, but her family needed a bigger place to live, but she gave me that money out of the willingness of her heart. And because of this, I was able to spread the gospel and help lead so many people to the Lord. It wasn't that she just had an extra $1,000 laying around. It was that she had nothing but gave everything. Sometimes we feel that what we have to offer just isn't enough for God or just is insignificant, but that's not true because God doesn't ask us to give a certain amount of anything. He doesn't ask us to give a certain amount of time, a certain amount of money. He just asks us to give willingly with joy and generosity. So, I don't know if you guys caught that, but the key to Kimberly's story is that this lady had developed trust with God, right? So she, she believed God was calling her to do something dramatic, and she trusted that God would, one, be able to still provide for her own needs, but also that, that God would use her gift. And as you heard from the story, he very much did. And so... It's really cool. So that'll be something we dig into a little more later as well is um, the trust that gets built. Um, so it may not look the same. Like we might not, God might not be saying write a thousand dollar check for someone going on a mission trip, but he is going to, we're all going to have moments where God wants us to do something drastic, to embrace the generous life. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into scripture. So Jacob can I call you Jacob? Jacob, okay. Jacob, uh, we'll read 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. All right. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know that the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace in your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Is it? What, what did I do? To seven? Okay. Thanks. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> so, our first point is that generosity displays the comfort life. So, ooh, get a little two parter out of week one. So, 
Um, if you guys were here for the first night of worship, or if you've been in life groups and you're in the first week, our first aspect of the best life was the comfort life, where Paul opens the letter and he talks about, bless you, how God comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others. And this word, this comfort, is so much more than just like a pat on the back, but it's um, this like someone who's going to come alongside you, put their arm around you, and just like walk with you, like help you get through. And so what we see here is the Macedonian churches, um, they're living that out right now. So they, it's, so Paul's basically giving them a visual example. So the Macedonian churches were in like the northern part of Greece. This is like the churches of Berea, Philippi, and Thessalonica, they were not wealthy. They were very poor, but they had seen God bring them through struggles in the past, and then they hear about just how hard times are going in Jerusalem, and they're like, wait, 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 we can be a part of that. We can help with that, and so they're kind of like the lady in Kimberly's story is they've seen how God has brought them through in the past, and now he's they're seeing an opportunity where where God's letting them be that for someone else. And so, so that's the first thing we see is that they're living the comfort life. And so um, I love the way scholar Colin Cruz puts it. He says, where God's grace is experienced, the evidence will be similar love and generosity. And so, yeah. So now, Kimberly is going to read 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 through 15. I'm not condemning you, but I want to testify to the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager, eager willingness to do so may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so, point two, generosity um, requires trust. So I don't know if you guys caught this, like with Paul, like what he just said. Um, like, have you guys ever written a line that's just like so fire in a paper that it would be a waste to just use it in one paper? And, and so you just like, you find another assignment and you rework it so it works perfect for this. That's kind of what Paul does here. So like Philippians 2, he talks about how, how Christ, being in very nature God, just and decided to come and be the least of us and to uh, be obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And, um, and that he's talking about humility and then he reworks it here to talk about how um, Jesus' generosity is really an investment. Um, so like I wasn't a business major in college, but I think I can give a good definition here for investments. Um, because what happens with an investment is you have someone who they can see the potential for something, and so what they do is they, they put their own valuable resources in and expect, they trust that results are gonna work 
uh, Luke, is that a good definition? All right, that works. He's a certified Kelly guy, so. Um, and so what Jesus does is he sees the creation he made. He sees humanity, the beautiful part of creation, and how we kind of screwed it up. But he sees the potential, and he knows that to get to the other side, he's going to have to put himself on the line. He's going to put everything he has, and like I said earlier, he's going to come, he's going to live the perfect life, he's going to be murdered by the people he's here to save, and then raised to life again and offer that new life. And so he, he sees the potential, puts it all on the line, and then he trusts the Father to work through his sacrifice. And so what Paul is wanting to do with that example is he's wanting to, to encourage the Corinthians like, like to be able to say, because um, like you said in that, he, over a year ago, he had gone to Corinth, told them about Jerusalem, and they were stoked. Like, they wanted to be part of this. And because, again, similar to the Macedonians, like, like they've experienced God's grace. And now they see an opportunity where they can be that for someone else. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to rekindle that fire. And, and what better way than to remind them of, like, what Jesus has done for us, that then he gets we get to be a part of that too. And so what we should be praying is for God to show us opportunities where we can invest, where we can see him work. And because all he does is bring beautiful things. Um, hashtag Gunger. That might be an old reference. Um, now Jacob is going to read 2 Corinthians 8, 16 to 14. I was a little confused, but it's okay. <laughs> All right, you're good. All right. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany, accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. So our final point is that generosity encourages unity. So Paul, this is like a major integrity move. So again, they have kind of this broken trust right now with Paul. Even though he knows and God knows that if he's going to come in and grab these funds, he's going to be, do the right thing. He's going to give them to the Jerusalem Christians. And, but the, he knows also that 
the Corinthians are struggling right now with their trust with him. So what he does instead is he takes Titus and two people who we don't know, but they did, and they trusted these two guys, and and Paul said, you know what, you don't trust me? Okay, we'll send these three who everybody knows, and they're going to do their part. So he does, he does his part to bring unity, and then he reminds them that their generosity is huge, not just for the people they're supporting, not just for the people in Jerusalem, but it's huge for the Macedonians. This is like, um, so like, again, the Northern, they were poor, but they were stoked to be a part of this. Paul, when he was there a year earlier, Corinthians were jacked to be in this together. So he's gassing them up. When he's going to (laughs) Macedon and all these churches, he's like, guys, 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 even the Corinthians are going to jump in. And so this is like, now he's like nervous. This is like if you're in a group project in a class that you kind of suck at and the super smart kid who you know takes the best notes, you find out they're in your group and you're pumped, right? And then you find out they dropped out right before you start working. And you're like, well, crap, it's demoralizing, right? And you feel betrayed and you feel like, like what's going to happen next? And so that's, that's kind of what's happening right now is Paul has been, like if the Macedonians can be excited about what God's going to do with their little gift, like just imagine what he's going to do <laughs> with what the Corinthians can give. And so, so generosity encourages unity. They're, they, he wants them to all be able to see the change that, God, like, that they're going to do together. And yeah, so as we start to close up, Jacob has an awesome story of how he's seen the generous life strengthen people's connections together. All right, um, I'm Jacob, if you don't know that already. Um, But when Alex reached out and asked if I would help, and I went over the material we were going over tonight, which is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, um, I kind of just thought back on my history of service and volunteering. Um, So I'm going to share that very briefly with you. Um, So I grew up in a Christian household where service was encouraged and almost expected, you know. Um, Both of my parents, they've always served for as long as I could remember, um, with my dad helping lead worship, and my mom has always been um, in the children's ministry. So, you know, growing up, I've always had a great example as to what service is and what it should be. Um, Around middle school is when I first jumped into service and I helped out in the kids ministry so I would I would help out with the three-year-olds sometimes and I would go to the fifth and sixth graders sometimes you know um, and at first I was really excited really enthusiastic about what I was doing because you know I was finally doing my part and helping serve and like just being that person that helps it's always great to see um, but after a while you know I started to get burnt out like I did it for a few years. I would do it twice a month. And, you know, that desire, that motivation to keep serving and helping others, it was just kind of fizzling out. And um, about halfway through my high school experience, I stopped serving and I just just went to church and, you know, it was all right. I would would come in and I would just be a consumer, you know. I'd take in the sermon, I would leave, and that was that. Um, It wasn't until this summer, actually, that I kind of jumped back into that. 
um, my former youth pastor uh, reached out and asked if I would be interested in serving in the, the youth group. So since I hadn't done it in a while, I said, sure, why not? And so I met up with him, and I found out that I was going to be working with the middle school boys. Now, if you know of a middle school boy or have been a middle school boy, you know that their, you know, their attention span is very low, and their maturity is very low as well. So the idea of having to you know, talk through Bible questions about a lesson that we went over with a bunch of middle schoolers did not seem appealing at all. But you know, I already signed up for it, and I was like, well, I guess we'll give it a try, right? So I go in the first time, and it turns out how I'd expect it to be. You know, I try to engage with them, ask questions. Of course, their attention is not there, and they're talking about playing sports and what they did during the week, and you know, it, it is what it is, right? So I was like, well, I can keep doing this, or I can quit. And at the time, I was like, I'm only starting out, so I got to keep trying, right? And that's what I did. So um, over the coming weeks, I kept, kept going. I kept engaging with them. I got to know the boys a lot better. And lo and behold, as I got to know them better, you know, I would see glimpses where they weren't, you know, completely disengaged, but they would be answering the questions, you know. They'd be engaged. It sounded like they were actually listening, you know, and, you know, as that happened, I was, you know, more encouraged and more enthusiastic about what I was doing there because jumping into it, I was thinking, I'm not really going to get anything out of this. I don't think they are because they're not paying attention, right? But as I was able to connect with them and get to know them, I was, I was really seeing the results and I was seeing the results in them and myself as well because, I started to see that what I was doing had a purpose. And, you know, God called me to do something to be able to help these boys to learn. Because at the beginning, I don't think they knew much. But, you know, as we've gone on, they've, they've picked up. So just looking back at the passage and my story, um, I was really reminded of my story, like reading through Paul and what all of the reminders that he had um, about enthusiastic giving, you know. At the beginning, he talks about the Macedonian churches, like being super poor, not really having much to give, but they gave everything that they had severely, like they did it enthusiastically and with everything they had. And then the biggest example would be Jesus, right? You know, he left his perfect abode up in heaven to come down to earth and to sacrifice everything for us. And, you know, just seeing those two examples, along with Titus, you know, um, just being there enthusiastic, ready to help serve, like give the money where it needs to go and keep this mission going, you know. Just throughout this whole passage, there are these reminders to keep being enthusiastic about how we serve. And, you know, that's one of the big things that I got from this passage is that God calls us to serve and he calls us to do it enthusiastically, you know. If we're going to serve and we're not really into it, we're not going to get much from it, and odds are the people we're serving, they aren't either, because they're going to pick up on that energy and how you're feeling, and, you know, they might not really get much from it, but, you know, God calls us to be enthusiastic about where he puts us and what we're doing, so I guess I would just recommend that to find something that you find enjoyable and you have a desire to do, 
and you help serve in that capacity because, you know, only good things come from enthusiastic service. Um, and that's really all I have, so. Um, man, awesome. Yeah, so um, one distinguishing factor throughout church history, whenever Christians are um, <clears throat> practicing the way of Jesus healthily, is their extreme generosity. Um, so just this is kind of like the point where you just start dreaming, like what would it look like if we were known more for being generous, whether it's with whether it's with our money, whether it's with our time, like in Jacob's story, uh, whether, just whatever you can imagine, um, how would that affect our personal relationships? How would it affect the relationships like the, the worldwide church and then the world around us? Like, what would they, how would they be changed because they see the way we live generously with each other? Um, and so, so generous people, they enact the, the trust that they've built with God. They are paying attention to the people around them, right? They're, they know what people need, so they know they, how to invest in them. Um, so then to so just kind of give like an action step for today, uh, just this week especially, um, just be paying attention to people around you and ask God, just, hey, God, like how can I invest in them well because there's it's a, it's intentional it's not just a, oh i'm gonna do this but it's oh i want to see lives changed and if it's gonna be in middle school boys then that's where that's where we are that's where we're gonna invest our time and that's where god's gonna produce if it's gonna be in taking this check that we've been saving something forever and god wants us to invest in someone else okay let's let's do it let's see god work um yeah, so that's what we've got for you tonight. I'm going to pray, and then um, do I have a mouse or anything? Okay, we're going to pray. Oh, there you are. Okay. Um, God, just thank you so much for uh, leading by example, really. Just thank you that we get to be so excited to give and to be able to dream with you in our giving because you did that first. You did it better than we ever can and and you do it because you love us and just help us to be filled with that love for the people around us the people that we see on a daily basis and just help us to love them well and to invest in them um the way you want us to and jesus name i pray amen <laughs>